Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you said great. I'm doing pretty good, considering. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based on a Sacramento, California. Let me fix this so it doesn't come flying off of me. Based on a Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California. And what that means is that if you have a paranormal need, we can help you. It may take us a couple of days to get to you. You know, everybody thinks of California kind of like Hawaii being beaches and surfers. Well, we are. We are in a lot of ways. But there's also areas that are inland, further inland. It's a big state, and we also have mountains. We have high desert. We have low desert. We have a lot of farmland. So there's a lot of rural areas. Excuse my allergies. They just started, like, get really bad in the last, like, half hour. Uh, so if I have to sneeze or I have to use a napkin or something to wipe my nose, I will do that. I want to welcome everybody from TikTok. Hello, we're going live on TikTok tonight. Um, you are on my cell phone, and I cannot see the screen that well because I'm old and blind. But uh, feel free to leave me messages and all that good stuff. All right, we are live on TikTok tonight. We are live on Facebook tonight. We're live on YouTube tonight. And uh, Twitter, people can check us out. Twitch, we're all live on Twitch tonight. And, uh, yeah, so we're we got some multiple things going on tonight. I want to, again, I want to welcome you all. And if you're on Facebook and you're watching and you like what you see, please feel free to hit those happy faces and those thumbs up and, and, and those hearts because we are looking for things like that to see, that you like us, that you like what we do, okay? Uh, that also puts us higher up in the algorithm over at Facebook, which means when, uh, when that happens, the computer grabs us and sends us out to a lot more people. Works the same way over YouTube. Happy faces, comments, smiles, all that good stuff. TikTok, same process. Happy faces, smiles. Well, for you guys, tap the screen. Tap the screen. Double tap the screen. Send me some love. Show me some love tonight. Show me some hearts. I'd really appreciate it. Um, my lighting's been kind of off for TikTok lately. I don't know why. I have to figure out why suddenly. Maybe my, my uh, spotlight bulb is starting to go. Okay, if you're watching from the, from, excuse me, I'll explain why I'm like this. If you're watching from Facebook and you haven't done so already, please hit that follow button. Always looking for followers. Oh, you know, love having followers, love having you as part of the crew. If you're watching from YouTube, same thing, and you haven't subscribed yet, please feel free to hit that subscribe button. Always looking for subscribers. I'm 320 subscribers on YouTube away from, from hitting that thousand mark to monetize. So uh, if you have any friends that are watching this and they haven't, or around that haven't watched the show yet, feel please please ask them to come on in and check it out. Check it out. TikTok, same thing. Um, we're working on building up myself on TikTok, and I'm going to be on more and more. And I've got a couple shows planned with with Psychic Karen Clark, and we're going to be doing uh, tarot card readings and all kinds of stuff on here. So uh, you can just find in your heart to hit that follow button. I'd appreciate it. hit that follow button. I'm also doing su subscriptions uh, today. You might want to subscribe after hearing this great part of this great book. I don't know. I've also got a llama goal up there. Uh, the reason why is, uh, you know, you don't have to do it. I'm not pushing anybody for, for any kind of gifts. But if you can find it in your heart to, uh, to, you know, send something, it's great. It goes for everybody. I mean, you, I have a strip running below the main uh, camera over here, you know, for uh, donations. Because that's how I keep my radio show on the air. You know, it's that's how I'm able to pay my internet bills and stuff. And and uh, so if you can find it in your heart to do that, that's great. If you don't, that's that's fine too, you know. But I'm just trying to build up my presence here on TikTok and everywhere else online and keep my radio show on. 
what we're going to do today is um, uh, normally I would have a guest. Usually Sunday is the day that I do a book read, usually a paranormal topic or a fantasy topic. But uh, this morning, um, oh yeah, and the rest of the week, <laughs> see, I'm still a little off, you guys, because of what I did this morning. Um, usually Sunday I do the book read, and then the rest of the week is spent with par with guests of, of you know of uh, talking about various topics, including a lot of paranormal stuff, UFO, UAP stuff. But uh, this week, because I did an MRI today, I don't do MRIs well. Um, I have uh, an inner ear issue, and it affects my hearing. And when I go into MRIs, that magnetic stuff completely knocks my, my inner system off. Um, usually I come out with a headache, and I'm dizzy, and it's just miserable, you know, for like four, five, six, seven hours. So I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do a show today. In fact, when I got done today, I did not end up with a headache, but I did end up with a stomach that felt like I, I was going to throw up a few times, you know, and I was dizzy. So, of course, life had to go on. I had to run some errands. I came home, and by the time I got was walked to the door, the stomach had, stuff had subsided. So I decided to go on the air. So what we're going to do today is um, I don't have a guest. You know, I, I don't have a guest ready to go. But what we're going to do today is we're going to read from the book that we've been reading uh, the, the last uh, two Sundays, and it's by Mary Muter. And it's let me get the name here. Let me pop up here here. And the name is Inside Past Life Connections, Dear Flower Lady. And it's about past life connections and how and how they work in, in, in relation to the world as we know it. So if that's something you guys are interested in, great. If you're not, you can always scroll on and, you know, go somewhere else. Uh, but uh, it's a nice kind of thing to kind of relax and uh, put your feet up on your couch, maybe sit by the fire, maybe have your dinner, do whatever. But uh, we're at Chapter 10 right now, and uh, she's so far she's had some very, a couple of very interesting um, past life stories that, that that she sold in here and she also tells her own life story so it's all inter it's all inter all intertwined so if you're into this sort of thing and you're into past lives please please hang out with me and uh i promise to try to make it as fun and great you know, as, fun, as fun a thing as possible to read this uh i appreciate each and every one of you coming tonight to watch um and for the people that will come after the fact over uh, you know because i know facebook and, and, and twitter and twitch and all that uh a lot of people aren't going to be on right away, so they're going to come after the fact, which is fine, too. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for each and every one of you. So um, I'm gonna, let's just do a quick synopsis. Uh, Marin Muter is an author. She lives in, in, in the Connecticut area. And uh, her first book that we read, which we finished a couple weeks ago, um, she told her own little life story of being a child and her communication with, with fairy folk. She was a kid. And she would write letters to fairy folk, and she'd put them in jars and in different places and, 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 her, and communicate, hence the Dear Flower Lady thing. Now this is a continuation of that book, and it, like I said, it's called Inside Past Life Connections, Dear Flower Lady. So there's a little bit of the Dear Flower Lady in here, and then there's a lot of talk of past life connections and quantum physics and a lot of other things in here. So I think you guys will find it interesting. And again, if you can find it in your heart, you know, to, you know, to, to help me out a little bit so I can pay my bills, that would be great. You know, so I've got a goal of 50 llamas. That would be great. But uh, if you don't, that's fine, too. You know, diamonds are good, too. Diamonds are just as good. Um, you, you know, but please, please tap that screen. If you like what you hear, double tap that screen on TikTok. And uh, help, help me build up my presence here on TikTok. That's all I ask. Tap that, you know, hit that follow button and uh, tap that screen. I'd really appreciate it. Same thing for Facebook, same thing for YouTube, same thing for Twitch, and all the other places where we're broadcasting.
Okay, let me take one last look at StreamYard and make sure we're still broadcasting because my internet can get wonky. Okay, so uh, again, what happened today is I went out, uh, I had an MRI done with another test, and of course, the second I laid down to get in the machine, because when you walk in, the magnetic is all over the room, right? You know, the second you walk in, I got dizzy. And so I already knew it was going to be a humdinger of a day. So I did the MRI. In fact, guys, meditation works. I was meditating through the whole MRI. Didn't even hear the machine. 15 minutes, boom, out the door. But afterwards, I had to have help sitting up and help standing up. And I had to sit for about 20 minutes and then go on my next appointment that, you know, in the same place. And then in my car, I felt like I was going to puke my guts out. And that's just about normal for, for me and MRIs. Uh, just cause, it causes a horrible imbalance. And even right now, I feel off. I'm feeling kind of off. It's a, kind of like a, hang, a can, that hangover kind of off. But I, I feel just off kilter still. So uh, here we are. Okay. We are reading Inside Past Life Connections, Dear Flower Lady. Now, if, if there's somebody that's offended by any of this, please don't turn me into TikTok, Facebook, YouTube police. Just move on. This is a rated, this is a rated PG-13 rated R channel. Okay, so if, if there's anything in here that, that offends your religion or anything like that, just just move on. You know, there's no point causing trouble. Just move on. I mean, I would. If I, said, if I was on a channel and there was something that offended me, I would move on. Right? Okay, so that's what I meant. That's all I ask is that you move on. All right? Okay, so Chapter 10, this is called Play, and we're going to start, and I'll read for about an hour. Thank you for the likes. Whoever's doing that, I can see them coming up. Thank you for the likes. Please keep double tapping that screen. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's see if we can reach, you know, let's, let's set a like goal. Let's see if we can reach 1,000 likes today over on TikTok. 1,000 likes. Okay, we're going to read for an hour. Let's see if we can hit that 1,000 like goal. Okay? And if maybe even that 2,000 likes. 2,000 likes would be even better, right? Higher the number, the better. So uh, let's, let's see if we can reach that. All right, here we go. Chapter 10, play. And it's already not moving. See, okay. Right. What do some children remember? Why do some children remember? See, already it's starting great. Why do some children remember past lives? Some children's brains are quicker to conform upon entrance to the, pre to the present life. And there is no right or wrong time frame for this. The timing is due to the filtration system that is developing. The longer it takes, the more the connection to past lives or lives in between remain. Essentially, the child's brain is still tapped into parts of the interminable realm and is still evaluating which information and present life lessons are essential to its survival. For each child, this development looks as different as their individual fingerprints. Ah, let me add, too, I do have permission from the author and publisher to read this. Right? Mary Muir is the author. Children's brains are natural players, meaning they play as they learn. Their brains role play situa their brains role play situations and scenarios, and this is how they learn about the world around them. Play is the fastest way to process information. It is essentially interaction plus emotion. These two elements, interaction plus emotion, play, are beneficial for our brains throughout our lives. It is, there, it is this combination that helps stimulate the building and recalling a memory. It helps form our consciousness that is aware of the earthbound stage we are on by the consistent and instantaneous adjustment of the frequencies coming in. While we play, our brains create forms of imagery, creating and or recalling memories. 
during this process, past life memories from other life from other life iterations may be ignited by the environment through smells, tastes, textures, sounds, and sights. The brain receiving this information pairs it as pertinent to the life experience, even though it is it is from another iteration of existence, and the past life recall is is created. Play doesn't always mean giggling laughter. It can look like concentration. It can look like problem solving. It can look like survival, skill building, and exercise. When the signals are open to a past life memory, skidding a knee could be a reminder of sliding into second base, even though the child has never played baseball. It could be the flavor of canned peas that reminds a child of going into the general store and buying a can for a penny, and the dog that used to follow along at their heels. The memories children have of past lives are not always of negative events. Many times they show up as everyday memories that can look like baiting a hook to go fly fishing along the bank of a river or making snow angels in heavily woven, woven clothing. Most of the memories are just snippets. The power of playing adults is still there, too, and can stimulate all memory, whether short-term, long-term, or past life. Our normal consciousness, the waking consciousness, the rational or material consciousness is only one type of one type or form of consciousness. It is a conscious mind that we are the most familiar with. But inside the subconscious, subconscious is where we find there is much more to learn. Sometimes, as a parent, we don't think of the possibility that our children may have experienced previous lives, even when they talk about them. Our children play out situations constantly and use their imaginations to learn about life. One young mother had such an experience, and it didn't, dawn, it didn't dawn on her to think that some of the things her children were saying and doing were signs of their past. In the case of her little boy, he began verbally expressing his past life, starting around two and a half years old. It started at a clothing store, where her son expressed knowledge that was beyond anything she had shared with him and wasn't typical for a child of his age. Oh, the color white really looks beautiful on you a sales associate said to the boy's mother. Thank you, the mother said. Then the little boy chimed in. Excuse me, he said. White isn't a color. In light, it is all color. In that dress, it is the absence of color. A few months later, when his third, with his third birthday in the books, the boy walked into the kitchen where his mother was kneading bread, bread dough and said, I wish I was dead. That statement alone is enough to stop a mother in her tracks. Coming in such a matter-of-fact way and from such a happy child, it was even more shocking. What? she asked. Why did you even bring me here? I didn't want to come here. What do you mean? she asked again. I didn't want to be born. Why did you even, why, why did you even born me? Some believe that a spirit can choose to come into a new life, that it picks its parents or strikes deals prior to arrival. In other cases, children describing their previous lives say they did not choose to return, as in the example of this little boy. For the next six months, he continued to voice his frustration for being brought here, continually saying, I don't want to come here. After coming, of, coming to accept he was not able to go back, the boy insisted that he at least be called by his real name, Peter. It was as if a light switch flipped. His mother told me, overall, he was a happy child. He played well with others, had a fun sense of humor, and was wise well above his years. At two years old, he was correcting people about color spectrums, the differences between the spectrum of lights versus the color palettes we use materially in art, 
or clothing or just everyday items. He knew history, poetry, and had vivid imagination. One day, he stopped stating, he stopped stating that he didn't want to come here and stopped answering when I spoke his name. He was silent for a few days until we went to the park, and I was introducing him to a new friend. When I spoke his name, he looked up at me and told me that was not his name. My name is Peter, and for the next year, his name was Peter, his mother described. Peter was processing the transition between lives. We never spoke of the departures for, of the departure from his previous life, but we did speak about he, how he was unexpectedly brought into this one. Going over what happened, him arriving here, it seemed he was almost hoping I could talk to someone on his behalf and rectify the situation. Then, after a year of processing, just as suddenly as the first switch was flipped, another switch flipped, and he was ready to assume his new role as his mother's son. Bits of Peter's personality remained with him through junior high school, high school and college, and have influenced his adulthood. His interests remained in arts, history, and global cultures. I'm glad for that, too, because as much as some of us believe we are only one individual, watching him grow, watching him grow up, he has sort of a magic that says life is so much more, his mother said as we caught up once more years later. If you like what you hear, hit that screen, tap that screen on TikTok. We're trying to hit 1,000 to 2,000 likes today. Chapter 11, Non-Human Past Life Recall. Whoa, I've never heard of this. This, this is a first for me because I've done a lot of study in this. I'm, I've been paranormal investigating for 18 years. It's the first time I've heard about Non-Human Past Life Recall. So let's see what's going on here. At two years old, Anna announced out of the blue to her family as they sat outside one summer evening that she had been a boy camel. Her older siblings laughed and battered Anna with, Anna with questions so they could hear more. Her father and mother sat in the butterfly-style chairs, sipping lemonade while the kids played their, their newly formed game of What Was I Before I Came Here? I was a boy camel, Anna said again. Where did you live when you were a boy camel? asked her older brother three and a half years old or her senior, in the sand. And it was hot outside, but I didn't feel hot. She'd begun talking at a year old, so by this time her sentences were easily complete. What is the secret about being a boy camel that no one else would know, her brother asked, while the other children laughed at the thought of their baby sister as a boy camel. I was a fast runner. Did the humps on your back fill up with water, her brother asked. I only had one hump, Anna replied. It didn't have water in it. She continued to describe what it felt like to have sand beneath her hooves and how the water felt going from its mouth up its throat to its tummy. Is it possible to have a past life memory that is not human? Yes. Past lives are not limited to human beings, to, to human beings specifically. Children and adults alike can have spontaneous recall of past lives that can be any earthbound or non-earthbound existence. For the most part, these non-human experiences, when recalled as adults, are kind of shrugged off and just something, it's just something weird and odd that our brain created. For children like Anna, the memories are more like a silly game, somewhat whimsical to others, because the non-human memory isn't as intimidating as a human past life. They are easier to label as, non, as nonsense. The interesting thing about non-human earthbound recall is the ability children and adults have in remembering what it felt like to be in those states of being, in those other bodies. Those who experience these forms of past life recall seem to also have an ability to explore connections to the outside world from other points of view, 
A young woman recently called me excitedly with a question. She was just preparing for her spring term final exams. She had scheduled a, mass, a massage early in the afternoon. Settled quietly on the bed, face down, and closed her eyes. A deep sound bath lulled from a hidden speaker moving the room, moving the room into its own form of silence. There was no fountain, no sound of water. The therapist ran his hands along her back, down her legs, and momentarily placed pressure on her feet before returning to her shoulders to begin the kneading, long, flowing strokes of the massage. It was like my time and place was switched, she told me. I wasn't on a massage table, even though I knew I was, and I knew that I hadn't left. But suddenly I was in the water. There were fish around. They weren't afraid of me. I wasn't human. Actually, I didn't think about it, if I was human or not. It was just, I was naturally there, in the water. I could breathe in the water. I could move in water whatever direction I wanted. I was larger than the other fish. I could see the different lights flickering from the sun surface, and life below me too. The water was deep, but not so deep that I couldn't see the bottom. And then I snapped out of whatever I, wherever I was, and it was like I knew I wasn't human in this memory. I also knew that it was my memory. I knew it was real. While sharing this story at one of my friend's chat, fireside chats, a woman spoke and said she'd experienced something similar before, but had never even considered that it could be past life experience. Now, after hearing this story, her experience of a similar recall made a lot more sense. All these experiences reside in our consciousness as part of the tapestry of our soul, and we are still connected to them. Sometimes, as we go about our lives, triggers to the memories may show up, just as they do in our current life. Our bodies are highly sophisticated. At the same time, they're not any more complicated than other organic beings on this earth. There is some research in the scientific community saying and showing that consciousness does not come first, that there's nothing on the other side of the veil, and that a continuation of consciousness is basically a figment of our imagination. Some say that as we learn more about consciousness, our current thoughts and belief systems would be further disrupted because these findings will essentially negate religious or spiritual beliefs. Kind of like when the Earth was discovered to be a globe rather than a plane. Right now, though, one of the most fundamental challenges is understanding the neural basis of consciousness. Scientists and brain specialists have developed a number of complex models and theories that take into consideration everything from information technology and computer sciences to global philosophies to philosophical and neurosciences in an attempt to find out what make the brain tick. The hope is to create a baseline from which they can conduct deeper experiments. There are several consciousness theories that, look, that, that are being looked at presently. Two of them, although similar, are in opposition of each other. One is the Integrated Information Theory, IIT, and the other is the Predictive Global Neuron, Neuronal Workspace, GNW Theory. The, I, the ITT theory says that neural networks supporting consciousness must be highly interconnected, effectively integrating different components of a state into a unified experience, experience being a very important word. A crucial advantage, they say, of the, IT, of the IIT, I said ITT before, I'm sorry, IIT, is that it delivers a mathematical metric that cannot be reduced in relation to consciousness levels. 
This theory provides accounts for the emergence of a conscious experience from information processing network. Global workspace theory, GWT, is one of the most widely supported neuroscientific theories of consciousness. Indeed, a survey conducted at the 2018 Association of the Scientific Study of Consciousness showed that, among experts, GWT is regarded as the most promising theory of consciousness and was first suggested by neurosciences researcher Bernard Bars in 1988. This theory was developed to account quantitatively for a large set of mashed pairs of conscious and unconscious processes. In this study, they showed that st stimulus comes first. The brain reacts to stimuli and makes the decision for a specific action. It then sends the decision out to the earthbound consciousness. It feels as though we are making the decision or choice at that time, when really the subconscious choice has already been made for us, and we are kind of following along like thunder does with lightning. Another recently shared theory is trying to show that our universe is one giant form of consciousness. Panpsychism. I hope I panpsychism. I hope I said that right. Like I have been speaking and writing about it for some time. Panpsychism suggests consciousness is inherent in even the tiniest pieces of matter. In the letters I'd written and buried in the 1970s and early 80s, I spoke about just this idea, an idea that the most fundamental things, the most fundamental basics of reality have conscious interactions and experiences. People also talk about the possibility or possible soon-to-be reality of computers and robots getting a sort of consciousness. This in itself is quite an interesting topic. If we use the theory experience equals consciousness, then yes, a computer or a robot will essentially be able to build a form of consciousness. With this idea in mind and thought, let's put an altered shift on the machine gaining consciousness. I vividly remember lying in bed, thinking about cars off and on for years. Also, radios, televisions, cups, plates, toasters, the oven, my bed, airplanes, basically everything man-made. I would imagine the inner workings of those objects, how they were put together, and I would go back and forth on whether or not they were, they were natural. At the root of this inquiry was figuring out if humans were natural or not. It seemed in school that they tried to create a division between humans and nature. At the same time, there was a lot of talk about evolution and how we evolved from apes. Somewhere in this evolution, we gained self-awareness and consciousness. Again, if you're uncomfortable, uh, maybe the religion, your, your religion doesn't allow for this, I apologize. Don't turn me into TikTok. Just move on to you know another page, okay? Because I don't want people to be uncomfortable. There's no reason to turn me in or anything like that either to TikTok police. The reason, oh, same thing with YouTube and, and uh, Facebook. The reason this bounced around my head is quite a bit, quite a bit, I'm sorry, the reason this bounced around my head quite a bit was that I saw the world differently. I saw consciousness in old things. I saw awareness in old things, plants and animals alike. Their expression of consciousness was different than ours because their interactions and experiences, earthly vessels, and forms of communication were different. The question began debating itself inside my brain. If humans make something, is that thing natural, or is it now twice removed from nature? I started breaking down all the materials and elements used to create machinery to create radio receivers to create transmission lines. I asked about where rubber was made and learned rubber was invested, was harvested, invested, ah, was harvested from a tree, natural. The oil and gasoline, 
natural. The metal and fabrications, natural. Even nuclear energy was natural. It was the early 1970s, and the questions I sought answers for, or things I wanted to learn, oftentimes weren't in school science books or spoken of. They weren't in National Geographic or seen on NOVA or written about in journals. Anyway, that I knew at that point. After all, I hadn't even hit a half decade in life yet. I wanted to know about cellular or molecular programming, DNA, gene modification, changes that can be made to the molecular, cellular, and DNA programming, and changes that could be made to the programming's programming, DNA, and mitochondrial DNA. My... Mitochondria was the first was first discovered in 1857. Mitochondria DNA in the 1960s. I had written at age six, 1978, to the flower lady that we could alter cells. Here's the letter, dear flower lady. Hang on, okay. We could feed them different things to change what they are doing. We could just turn them down a different path, like at an intersection when the lights turn green or red. We could have the call the cells for DNA, eat something that gives that gives their sh their shell an off switch, like on the wall, and then maybe we could control it. I try to turn my own light switch on by the door off by concentrating really hard when I'm too lazy to get out of bed. Maybe we can do something like that, but for real, like we just have to eat something that would be like calling your mom or dad to turn off to tur turn off your light without having to get out of bed except it would be something that could turn off the foods for the cancer or whatever the sickness is. But at the same time, our body needs to die. So this is the same thing I asked about a while ago. Are we staying alive and we could be going somewhere else just because we don't know what happens next? How come people make death scary? Is there really just nothing? Is it really nothing? I, I don't think so, because the... The way the world is set up makes sense. We have weather. We have air. The plants are the plants can eat. The animals can eat. The earth can eat. It all works together, and it all makes sense. It would not make sense if there was nothing after we live after we live here. For the most part, my questions amusing stayed mum to the world, but that didn't stop the flow of information that made its way from my mind to my brain. It was in these quiet, secret worlds that I would stay. I decided I was going to observe more. I was going to touch the plants. I was going to hear the birds. I was going to watch the fox. I was going to watch people. I say people at this point rather than humans, because I noticed as, as so many putting on a different act depending on their audience. Being a person is an adaptation of human being. I did it too. Putting on a mask of what I thought was expected of me. Not very convincingly, though. I felt like a stranger in my body when I had to interact with others. I wanted to talk about the deep subjects. I wanted to share what I saw, and everything seemed to point towards just floating along, not rocking the boat, while at the same time being a leader and thinking outside the box, just not outside the circle. For the most part, I felt as though I was patiently waiting in a lobby, sitting in a chair quietly, just waiting. For what? I don't know. To go to a swim meet? To finish a year of school? To graduate? Then then what? Those markers were no different than the truth of a turn of a calendar year. When I went outside, when I hid in the woods or watched the world as it moved throughout the day from my room, I was able to be somewhere between our tangible world and the vast universes in my mind. I pondered questions. 
I pondered the way things were connected, and if anything could be removed or isolated, meaning existing without anything else. To do that, we would have to go beyond the individual particle, because even a particle has subparts. Dear Flower Lady, I do not believe anything can be all by itself. If you make a vase and put it on the counter with nothing else, is it still in the room? The walls are behind it, and the windows are next to it, and the counter is below it. If you hang it from a string, it is still not by itself. If you pick up and put in put it in space, but not even space, but empty space, where we think there is nothing. Guess what? There is nothing, which becomes something as soon as the vase is there. The empty space may not have been there before, because we didn't think about it. But now that I'm thinking about it, just me thinking about it connected it to something. It connected it to me. And now, it is not nothing. Now the vase can, can go there. And the vase is a vase and nothing, something space. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll have to say that fast three times. I do not think we can make something be something all by itself. It cannot be by all by itself because no matter what it is, part it is part of something else. That means we are not alone. Even if we think we are alone, we are not. We are all connected to something. And since we are all connected to something, that makes us an important part of the whole thing. The whole thing of nothing, somethingness. A machine is nature made, I said aloud, sleepily reaching under my dresser for pen and paper to write this final conclusion before my eyes slipped into sleep one evening. Dear flower lady, if you think about it, we're using all natural elements to create our industries. Even Disneyland is natural. Maybe we are like ants and our buildings are our mouths. We build entertainment, animals, also, we build entertainment. Animals also have entertainment. We are not so different after all. We just display our lives different, like a peacock compared to a seal. We have, we have manipulated elements from around the world, creating intricate circuitry, electrical waves of, deliv of delivery, touching atoms or particles so small that even 40 years ago, they were only part of the imagination as it cannot be observed and, in many ways, still cannot be observed. Observation of thought plays an important role in our existence. It plays an important role in all of existence. As the letter to the flower lady noted earlier, as long as anything is observed, even in imagination, it comes to be. Even if we never personally encounter it in this material iteration of our life, it has been observed vibrationally through our thought process. Chapter 12, The Rabbit Hole Connection. You guys on TikTok, if you like what you hear, please help me out. I'm trying to build up my uh, my TikTok. Double tap that screen. Show me some show me some love. Show me some love, please, if you like what you hear. Okay. And same thing for Facebook and all the other places. Show me some love tonight. Show me some comments. Show me some love. Chapter 12, The Rabbit Hole Connection. Imagine that our soul is again looking through a microscope and observing this little body we are using as a vessel in this life. With, with different stimuli, it acts or behaves like a, a, in a certain way. It needs to refuel, which essentially is to eat. Release used toxins to eliminate waste and help continue the experimentation consciousness souls are doing by combining two of these human vessels in order to create another human vessel to procreate. 
it is kind of what happens if it's kind of a what happens if experiment. What happens if two human if these two humans were combined? What elements or traits would be carried through? How will different interactions affect this newly created vessel? What happens if we leave out, excuse me, it's hot in here, key ingredients? What happens in inquiry of this vessel? What would behaviors, modifications, and environmental effects be if we were to put these human vessels in different places or, and or stations around the globe? What if the resources for the human vessels began depleting? Now, what if our minds on the other side of the microscope of the microscope saw far ahead of time that there was an impending resource depletion? What if our consciousness began preparing for such an event thousands of years beforehand because the, because they desired to continue the observations of the Earth and universe? Wouldn't they find ways to replace the population of human vessels? While I'm writing this, I think it is important to note here that I'm not negating our feelings our connections to love and compassion, or the bonds we form with those in our lives and in the world around us. Love is eternal. It's something beyond this human experience. It is part of a grander stage, one that stays with us. Think about a machine or a computer. It can only know what is being programmed. What if it's the same with the human body, with any body, really? Whether plant or animal or element, we can only know what information we are being fed throughout the through you know through through our experiences. Let's take a look at the school teacher and the student. The school teacher is your mind, and the student is your brain. Pretend the student is a blank sheet. The teacher has access to all the information, far more knowledge that the blank sheet needs at that time. Rather than revealing all the information they know at once, the teacher shares bits of information at the student's pace. The student is not learning up, meaning the student is not sending the teacher what it has learned. Rather, the student is receiving two sets of lessons. The first one is the interaction with the world around it, and the second is with the teacher. As the student interacts with, with its environment, the teacher shares information relevant to the interaction. The teacher is not isolated from the environment, though. The teacher is also part of the environment. And with the right tools, the student is able to decode the information it is receiving, which will help which will help prepare it for more and more information. For example, once the student understands that one plus one is two, they are ready for one minus one equals zero. Then one times one is one, and one divided by one is one, and so forth. They are receiving information from the world and experiences around them. And, as they're receiving this information, they're creating a form of earthbound consciousness, very similar to the theories of consciousness we spoke about earlier. But now, let's add another layer. The layer beyond the veil, one with almost eternal knowledge, almost because there is probably more to learn once we get there, while our human vessels are learning from the tangible world around us. We are also still connected to our consciousness souls on the other side of the veil the souls that are watching from the other side of the microscope and in the umbrella. Our soul helps guide us here and there and is often referred to as that little voice in our head. Let's not confuse that voice with the nagging voice our brains can sometimes conjure, which is not intuition. Let's return to our hypothetical case, the one where souls saw the depletion of resources 
and began to prepare for it far in advance, long before our earthbound cells ever noticed. The soul's consciousness preparations moved as part of a series of events that led us not only to now, excuse me, it's on here, but far beyond now. For example, a setup of events that started over a thousand years ago in such a way that brought you to this book. In order for this to happen, preparation needed to be very gradual. Uh oh. Hang on a second. Okay, let me make sure I have the right page. Okay. It needed to flow. The preparation for humanity has played as if it were a symphony playing towards this coda. As we approach this coda, the musical work of the earth is letting us know that one idea, humanity as we know it, is over while transitioning into the next, a more technological movement, as bringing us to a final conclusion. We can see this as we take a step back. Our human vessels are already creating the next movement, or alternate vessels. Vessels that are even more like a Mars rover than human. A vessel that can create its own ex experiential consciousness and would be able to pick up right where the humans left off, explore, you know, exploring this planet and this universe. The consciousness and memory could be shared and moved from one rover to the next, and then built upon, allowing our souls to wrap up the human Earth experiment, or at least move on to the next phase of it, a phase that has less need of the short lifespan individual human vessels, vessels that could almost be noted as outdated or inefficient, as they need to restart the learning process over and over at infancy, a learning process that is already becoming more and more mechanized in recent times. We witnessed this through the push for, for reading, mathematics, and writing at earlier and earlier ages, while we almost negate the human-to-nature connection. To some, this may be scary. Maybe this may be a scary thought, the end of the era of humanity, and that is okay. But if we take a moment to step back, to look at what we've been talking about, about our mind, soul, not being located in this body, save for the very, very minute, minute fraction, then we start to see that while the future of these human vessels may be limited, it does not mean you are. You are already part of the whole, and you will continue. We are a part of nature, and not separate from it. Past lives remind us of this. Even the past life memories of others. Just rec recognizing the memories, just recognizing the memories of others, reengages us into conversation. This connection and the idea that our consciousness continues, that our love continues, that our souls are connected, and that nothing can take that away. We're equal partners with all that exists, co-creators with trees and galaxies and microorganisms in our own gut, and all of us are gathered in a, material, in a materially and spiritually ebbing and flowing universe. Past lives allow us the opportunity to remember our to remember our bodies grew from the earth, rather than assuming we're placed here and, and you know separately from nature. We may not think a worm has the capability to love, but it does. Not in the human way, but it does. Scientists say it mindlessly mind, mindlessly goes about its business in the dirt, and that it's asexual and forms no bonds or attachments that we know of. But it is bonded to the earth. It helps create and aerate soils for the planets and animals. Its connection to the soil through human observation is quite rudimentary. We say the worm doesn't know it's a worm, 
that it doesn't know anything really beyond moving from point A to point B and to come out of the ground when it rains so it doesn't drown. This is where the idea that interaction equals consciousness comes into play in the very simplest way. Nature gives us hints to the worlds beyond, hints that can seem too small to matter. But everything nature shares, everything it provides materially and spiritually is significant. The worm is opening its own consciousness through its interactions with the environment around it. It may not sit and read what it, what it is doing. It just is. It may not study the pH levels of the soils because it knows them. It just knows. It may not do many things that show intelligence, but it knows where it belongs. It knows its soil connections. It knows it's part of something more, and it's very a very important part of the whole. It's a part of love, and being part of love is powerful, even when it gets eaten by the early bird. Excuse me one second. One second, guys. Okay. Ugh. It gets warm in here. These lights are real hot. No life is more important than another, no matter how much money they have or how tall or short they are. Or if they have beautiful skin that reflects the deep surf's glances or winter's frost, all life is important. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. We just need to turn down the noise a bit. Get rid of the should-haves. I had such a special message to share with me once. One that I haven't forgotten. And I'd like to share it with you. Okay, hang on a second. Okay, and I'd like to share it with you to hold as we part ways here and you continue your journey. If everyone tended to their own gardens, there is more than enough to share. But if everyone focuses elsewhere, our gardens are neglected and soon there is nothing to share. Plant the seeds we want because those are what we will share. Chapter 13, Return to the Attic. Okay, guys, if you like what you hear, double tap that screen for me. I'm trying to reach at least 2,000. Let's, let's try for 2,000. Let's try for 2,000 um, hearts up there, 2,000 likes. If you guys can help me out with that, I'm trying to build up on TikTok. Double tap that screen so I can hit that 2,000 mark. I'd really appreciate it. I really would. Same thing with Facebook and, and YouTube and, and Twitch. Hit me with those thumbs up. Hit me with those smiley faces. Hit me with those those love hearts because... I, you know, I'm just working on trying to get this thing built up and put it in so other people see it and, and just build, build up my show, build up my show. So if you can help me out with that, I appreciate it. Chapter 13, Return to the Attic. This memory came over and over. Well, mostly just the dash across the room to hide behind the door and the door opening and closing, seeing his face and feeling the knife. I'd yell for help almost nightly. Mom! It felt like forever before one of my parents would check on me. Sometimes, though, it was as if I were calling them to see if this new life were real. They were worried about the nightmare, the nighttime fears. What child at three or four has such a fear of violence when no violence was ever introduced into the home? At that age, television consisted of Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, and the wonderful world of Disney with Walt Disney. There is someone coming. He's going to kill me. I would say, while the scene flashed in a blink. The fear moved through my heart, bringing the piercing final moments of its beating. It was so real. I had a body in both places, here and there. And I was connecting, again, my allergies are a bad source, 
the connector, the connector, the, the yeah, the connection, the connector. There was something else. I was a connector, but how? There was no one here, my parents would say, go to sleep. Eventually, those words evolved into, stop being ridiculous, go to sleep. Then, there isn't anything we can do about it right now, so we need to just go to sleep. To connect the dots, to understand why I lived in both places at the same time, I went to the attic. I was going to find the connection to this memory. I was going to find why I was able to recall it. The dust in the attic rested undisturbed until I climbed up the ladder. Here it began to move invisible currents. The room was shifting. Light from one window curled stretched outwardly and grew dark before reaching the next window. My eyes focused not on a single fleck but on a, but on a flock, blurring as it gently fell through an undetectable labyrinth with a cool air stilled. I gotta go, a woman said. She was standing on the street, brushing the man off. According to his concerned gaze, I'm late again. Her watch didn't seem to ever run in her favor. Tonight, then, the man called after, pointlessly, as she chased the bus. Before as she chased the bus before it started toward her rejiggered re Victorian flat. A hand reached out and grabbed her wrist, pulling her onto the bus. Thanks, she said. Boyfriend detaining you? It was almost a song how the words left the man's lips. No, not my boyfriend. She rubbed the spot where the man's tight grip was only seconds ago, just under her glove, just a friend. Heading home, the man asked, asked speculatively. Grocers first, then home. She looked away and started studying the people on the street scurrying beside the buildings like mice as she attempted to casually limit the conversation with this man who stood next to her on the bus brandishing the insignia of the... Uh, i got to read this... <laughs> Of the Schutzstaffel, a long, heavy woolen jacket hid most of his uniform. It's almost spring, he noted. She glanced with a quick smile and went back to studying the street. What are you meeting your? Okay. What are you meeting with your friend tonight over? He asked. It was seemingly an innocent question, but coming from this man, it felt prying. We have exams soon, she said. She did not know that only a few weeks later. Mass book burnings would take place in the streets. You like reading? She smiled with a nod. Where are you going to study for your exams? In the library. Alone? And what about curfew? I'll be home before curfew, she said, and then exiting at the next stop. She told herself not to look back, even though she could feel the man's eyes following her. Things in her town were changing. More and more people were on the streets watching everyone. They watched the food. They watched the lights in the houses at night. They tried to befriend children with threats. Oh, with treats. I'm sorry. Befriend children with treats. Others just disappeared. Neighbors were either allies or enemies. And it was almost impossible to distinguish either one. Nothing felt clean anymore. People were expressionless outside their houses. Heads were down. Ears were perked. At home, she boiled a potato, wrapped it in a towel, and it felt wonderful on her chilled fingers. Springtime or not, her breath was still lingering in the air. She opened a notebook to a blank page where she wrote a story for this evening's homework. Over the course of the last few months, the stories were written successfully. Two, oh, I told two tales. One for an intended reader, and one for a decrypting one. Either on the way to her study group, or on her way back, she would deviate unseen from the route, depending on the location in which her stories needed to be shared. The places to hide, the correspondence 
Her words were often buried just before the curfew, when the shadows helped mask any out-of-the-ordinary movement. She never knew who the receiver of the buried letters was. She just knew that they had to get them in order for the resistance circuit to work. How many have they helped? Not enough. Not enough. The hallway to her flat had part of its walls removed, exposing the framing beams so there were no places for hiding. Tenants at least got to keep the interior walls for some privacy. Once her story for the evening was written, she made her way out for the study group. She tucked a splinter of wood against the door, which provided a sense of security when she would arrive home, letting her know if the door had been opened while she was away. It was a quick walk through the park. No one really paid much attention to her, as people were all trying to finish their errands or chores before soldiers began their curfew rounds. Soldiers began curfew rounds. Ducks started tucking in the tucking the day away, and she wasn't sure if night was any more comforting than the daytime. The only sense of relief lately came like a quick inhale of a forbidden cigarette once the story was planted. And then, just as quickly, the relief recreated with the fear of violation if the story were deciphered in the wrong hands and innocent people were taken away. That seemed to be happening more and more, and she would do anything to help stop it. Coming out of the shadow, she froze upon hearing the light shuffle of leaves. Her sight cautiously strained over her shoulder. With the coast clear, her pace steadied on the way home. She sighed, seeing the splinter at her door was still in place. Once inside, the few candles she lit brought in enough light for her eyes to adjust. She kept her home clean, left nothing about, not that there was much to leave about. Talking, uh, taking to the table once again, she began writing the stories obtained at the study group. She would have to head back up as soon as the street was quiet again in the early hours before sunrise to bury the updated story with the last-minute alterations to the plans. With luck, there would be almost a dozen people this week escaping, and the writings from earlier in the week needed to be altered. She packed the new plan into a tin she would use to hide, to hide in, getting ready for a short rest, a quick puff of air from her lips extinguished the candles. But almost as soon as the flames went out, the door handle moved. She wasn't expecting anyone. There was no hiding place. For the briefest, longest second, she stood holding her breath, then quickly and quietly went to hide the opening door, behind the opening door. And that is when the voice came. I know exactly where you are. Knowing there was nothing she could do, she watched the closing door reveal the silhouette of her assailant. Their eyes met. At that last moment, she felt the fluid movement of his arm as the hand that had earlier that day taken her wrist on the bus plunged a knife into her chest. If you guys are offended by this and it bothers you, please move on. Do not turn me into TikTok, Facebook, you know, uh, YouTube, same thing. Um, this channel is rated PG-13, and it's also bordering on R. You know, there's, there's just other things to watch. So move along, and uh, everything will be cool. So, you know, please don't turn me in. I, I think it's, I'm, just, I'm just reading a book. The more I thought about a connection between me and this memory, and the way I seem to have multiple memories of multiple lives I had been part of, I realized the common denominator was consciousness. It moved me into a larger awareness, one where I was able to observe multiple life experiences at once. 
Furthermore, how was I a part of and not a part of how was I a part of and not a part of each memory unlocked discerning thoughts on time and place? Where the lives were whole and they were not, and they were not linear or in a chronological order. They were just whole. They were complete. Here, the completed lives resembled beautiful orbs. From this vantage point, it was as if I was part of an overreaching consciousness, a balance. It harmonized in a way that was nonverbal and non-telepathic. It was a synchronization of almost emotional exchanges that filled the essence. And try as I might, there really were no words to describe it. Dear Flower Lady, I think I figured something out. Remember when I tried to feel if I was a marionette or if I was part of a giant dollhouse game? It is me. I am watching me in this world. There are a whole bunch of me's, like I am a dandelion, like I am a dandelion wish, and every time I make a choice, I'm doing both choices and all the choices in between and all at the same time. I saw this. And I saw that same thing happen to my other memories of other places. My memories of you. They were doing the same thing. They were living all the choices, all at the same time. The more I sought connection, the more the nightly memories came while I was awake. I could remember the bouquet of the seasonally laced air, the hum of conversations, the clanking of early trolleys, and the people I knew. Memories opened to more and more life experiences, some that were not even human. There were the trees, the memory of water, memory of places I cannot describe. In contrast to the memory of secrets being passed and a life coming to a violent end, my heart was yet in another location that my hands couldn't reach. I knew I was in this present life, of course, but part of me longed for a life that wasn't here. This other life was so close. It was like having a word just on the tip of your tongue. I could see but not touch it. I missed people and places from it. Slowly, I began to find that my foods were inciting memory. Certain weather reminded me of foods and flavors. My teeth desired to sink into the delicate, moist flesh of strawberry. But the present life, me, at the time, did not like strawberries at all. I missed locations I had never been to. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, and had never traveled to Europe. Yet I missed certain woodlands and villages, the smell of houses and pastures that weren't the same as we had. Other times I remembered flats and homes and what it felt like to be bitterly cold. Other times, still, a memory felt like to be, okay, still a memory of feeding my pet fox, the chipmunks, and the rabbits. I could explain the feel of their coat and how they liked to play, but I never had a pet fox or, or deer or bird. Still, I remembered having them live outside my cottage and grow to be quite old. Our connections to past lives are intimate, and the return to life is observational. Through observation, we get to see that love and consciousness is not created within our physical bodies. Rather, it is eternal, much deeper than we can imagine, and flows through us, through our connections beyond the veil. In the overarching consciousness resides the lone lights of lives lived and lives shared, creating a cosmos of its own. Let me see where we're at here with the book, okay? I just want to check this out because I think 
we are at the last chapter, so let's just plow ahead, and we might as well wrap up and start. Um, let me do this real quick. We might as well wrap it up and start start on Sunday with uh, Lin, with the follow up to Lynn Monet's book. So let's um, let's go for it. Let me have some water real quick and finish the continuation on this, and we'll wrap this up. It's been a great two books. She writes really well. So let me do this really quick. How you doing, TikTok? Still hanging in there with me? It's warm in here. Wow. Okay. Okay. Let me check over here. All right. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to the last chapter. Okay. Cool. Here we go. Okay. Chapter 14. Recovery of the letters. So here we go. And uh, double tap that screen on TikTok. If you, know, if you like what you hear, help me out. Like I said, I'm trying to build up my likes and my presence, uh, my presence on TikTok. And if you haven't done so already, if you like what you hear, please feel free to uh, follow. Follow me. and Because uh, I'm trying to build that up so I can eventually go live on my PC and therefore go live on my regular shows to you guys as well. Okay, and same thing for Facebook and all these other places. Be sure to hit those thumbs up, those happy faces, and all that kind of stuff. Here we go. Recovery of the letters. When the memory of the blue envelope flashed before me as I sat by the woods that day, it shared its hiding place with me. I know where it is, I said internally, the blue envelope. My lungs filled not only with air, but with an electrical charge. One that grew like a cherry tree. Its trunk ran my spine. Its branches follow my veins and arteries and the millions of capillaries. Small green buds grew from the branches and blossomed, filling the cherry tree with hope. I stood up, looked around, and made my way across the lawn, through the house, and into the garage. It was filled with storage boxes as we were in the middle of a move. I had created a sort of maze through them. They were labeled with details on every side. So if I decided to hunt for something, it would be it would hopefully not be so tedious. The good thing was, what I was after laid on top of a tall row of boxes wrapped in paper, a metal detector. The flight to Portland was a quick two and a half hours. The rental car was waiting for me, and the path home played all the scenes that we had shared together. Although my mother wasn't in the car with me, as she was now living in Omaha, her spirit was there. It filled the car with tenderness. I imagined her excited to go on that were buried and hid within and around the walls of her former home. Pulling on the quaint tree-lined road to the house, my heart quickened. What do I say when I knock on the door? How do I ask permission to dig around in the yard? I thought. Maybe it's better that I don't knock, I told myself. I'll just head down to Tryon Lake, Tryon Creek. No, I will knock on the door. It will be okay. With a deep breath and sigh of my lightly fisted hand wrapped on the wrapping on the door, a younger woman answered, quickly followed by her mother, upon hearing my explanation of who I was. My name is Mary Muter. My family and I lived in this house, and I just wanted to stop by and see it again. I didn't have the guts to ask if I could search for the letters. Would you like to come in? The older woman asked. Please, I uh, would love to show you the house. Oh, I was tempted to go in, but something held me back. I didn't want to intrude my memories with theirs. I had only stepped inside briefly before asking, actually, would it be okay if I were just to walk around the yard? 
and I'd like to walk down the road to try and creep, too. Of course, the woman said, and then magnified her voice so it would reach her husband. I'm heading outside with Marin. We're going to look around the yard. After the tour of the yard, I got my metal detector from the car and walked the mile from my house to the park's trailhead. It was as if I were on autopilot because after 40 years of weather, of rains and snows, of growth and decay, I walked directly to the spot I had looked for. Four years I had looked for for years as a child. I turned the metal detector on and brushed over the forest floor under ferns along the bank of the creek, and then sound came. Five feet from the bank, under the damp leaves and rotting fallen branches, it beat. I sat down. I didn't notice, or at least didn't pay attention to my jeans absorbing the damp floor. Excuse my allergies. I just sat. No thoughts really came to me. It was more like floating. Like I'd taken a breath that lifted my body into weightlessness. The autopilot within took over. It moved me to the Xbox spot. This time, young Jim Hawkins and the cast of Treasure Island stayed in their own pages, while the flower lady emerged somewhere in the periphery of consciousness. She and the others from that life just watched quietly. We were together in this observation. At the same time, I was also there in the moment of this treasure's retrieval. The broader consciousness that I was woven into was watching myself. I was part of both places at the same time, just as natural as can be. And then it was felt, the jar, kicked in dirt. My eyes closed. After all this time, after all the years and events between, the moment of loss and the moment of recovery were connected, as if there were no difference. They shared this moment at the same time. The recovery of that first jar with the blue envelope started a great treasure hunt. Oregon had always held a special magic, and in this discovery of the buried letters, that essence was alive and well. It completed a story that began in the early 1970s when I buried a secret, hundreds of secrets, in the protective roots of old-growth pines. Two years after finding the blue envelope, I received an email with a listing to my childhood home. I got in the car and drove 13 hours to Lake Oswego and called a real estate agent to schedule a showing. It was during the phone calls with the realtor that I found out her grandfather had actually built a home. And once again, I pulled into the driveway next to the giant sycamore that had held my, my, my lounging childhood self high in its branches for years. I walked over to it, placing my hand gently on the bark. And in that split second, a recollection occurred to me, between, occurred between us. The only thing that could translate this moment into words, thank you. Once inside, we toured the house. I shared memories as we wandered through. At the attic door, a realization hit. I bet there are still letters in there. Letters I had written by moonlight or behind closed doors. More poetry, predictions, and theories that had flowed from thought to paper and then were hidden from the world in glass jars. Or in this case of the attic, or in, the ca or in this case of the attic, stuffed between the brick of the chimney and the rafters for 40 years. My father's study had been turned into a large closet. The window at the end of the garret was blocked, and the sounds of, ty of typing keys on, this black, on his black electric typewriter were tucked away in history. The rolling of his chair, the taxidermy pheasant and quail, they were all only shadows now, as I climbed up the ladder to the upper eaves. It truly was a wrinkle in time. For a moment, I was eight years old. The weather outside pattered on the roof and the chimney and seemed to warm my hand. 
All at once, it appeared to be me touching the little girl's hand as my own. It was very surreal. We retrieved three more letters. The next day, the real estate agent called me. Excuse me, my allergies. See, just as I was thinking of heading back to Big Sur, California, she asked if I'd return to tell the current homeowner my story and the story of the buried letters. We had, she asked if I, I would return. I'm sorry. We had coffee and lemonade and talked about the house. There were only a handful of families who ever lived there. It was really neat. We were all laughing and sharing our stories, and that's when the homeowner wondered if the letters may remain hidden. If other wondered if other letters may remain hidden. I played in the room at the end of the attic, the one that was like a hidden room. There may be some there. What room in the attic? She asked. There is a room up there. Her husband confirmed. It is a, it, it is storage over the garage. We never used it. Upon hearing that, the homeowner and I went on an adventure, crawling through the dark attic with flashlights to hunt for letters. We found seven more. We sat in the living room reading them. The paper was very delicate. It didn't want to open, and it had been rolled up for so long. I took the letters with me and returned to California. The two-year hunt for letters spanned from Oregon to California, where a cache of buried treasure was unearthed. I never really expected to find or read these letters again. They reflect the life of a little girl who lived and moved in her own private world. The floor of my home was covered with hundreds and hundreds of letters, sallow from 40 years of subterranean storage. I had never really shared how I'd gone through life, the things I saw or what I understood. It wasn't until one night at an evening dinner that I shared my findings with some of my friends in the Big Sur community. The idea was for it to be light and fun, a glimpse into childhood musing. But the response was not what I expected. The people I shared it with invited their friends, who in turn wanted to invite others. The writings were a source of spiritual convalescence, an access point to a sense of oneness. The entries read as poems, and the poems as feelings lost. The letters have not only opened a window back into the life of this little girl, and have allowed others to take a similar journey. Part of that world still resides within my soul and plays as if not a day has passed. In that way, it is the same as a past life recall. We just get the, we just get the rare chance to see it all play out in this life experience together. Epilogue, Epilogue The Flower Lady It was an interesting experience. After my oldest son passed away, I was absolutely devastated. Well, at the same time, it filled my heart with an ethereal compassion. The love and pain were so great that my body was forcing each breath to come. I was viewing this life from the subconscious, from the parts unseen. I was making my heart beat, not in the background unobserved, but actually making an effort to keep going. The weaving of my heart spread like the roots of the forest, with the mycelium layers ablaze with communications carpeting the interior of the soil holding us de delicately together. One morning, I was in so much pain, I thought my spirit was going to leave this body behind to go find my son. I needed to cry in a safe place, and the suicide hotline wasn't equipped to handle a grieving mother whose child of 22 years old took his life. I called him several times in the first year because I had no one else to share the depth of my pain with. I think mostly I called because I was looking for someone to say, Wake up. Your children are all safe and waiting for you to open your eyes. No matter how much we do and do not understand about the other side of the veil, 
It doesn't negate our life experience here. It can't turn back the clock. It cannot manifest things to be, no matter how much we will it to be so. Manifestation is part of the parallel. It is part of the dandelion wish. In some cases, it unfolds how we desire. And in other cases, it balances out. With this confluence of love and pain, I found it best to be outside with the trees. I needed them there, as they had always been there, quietly, not judging the tears, not judging the random words and thoughts, not judging the pain. I needed them to be a witness to it all. I needed to tell someone I was hurting. I needed to tell someone I missed my son, and I missed my little family. Even at this moment, tears are flowing as I recall the desperation. A desperation I felt not only for my departed son, but for my surviving sons, who also had to endure this pain. Every part of my being wanted to hold them all, to protect them, to take the pain away, to let them know how much they are loved and safe. But I could not. The pain they endured was theirs, and the pain was so great, so scary, there was nothing we could do but embrace it. The stages of grief were no more the symptoms of after-effects of loss, or after-effects of loss. And the stages were different from all of us, for all of us. Some of the symptoms of grief that presented for one of us were never experienced by another. The experience was endured, and endure was unique to each of us. Like a wondrous blue snowflake or a fingerprint. A few months later, as I sat outside in the garden on the edge of the woods, my chest split open with memory as a little green wren fluttered to my hand, and the flower lady came to me. Her memory brushed my hair comfortingly. I missed my son, I cried. Please. He's still here, she whispered. A spontaneous rush of imagery moved like a flash flood. Memory split swept me away into the hum of balance and connection. I drove, I, I dove into the tapestry before me, finding the buried letters into the blue envelope and back home to the cottage by the brook where the flower lady opened her arms. I slipped into the memory, the flower lady and I. Young were my bare feet upon, yeah, young were my bare feet upon leaf-littered rocks. Shadows displayed numerous small movements of light as the wind gently worked its way through the branches, randomly bowing the canopy overhead. Bowing the canopy overhead. Spring had the deciduous trees full of early leaves, and they adorned even the most delicate branches. Even in the darkness along the brook's bed of this beautifully bright day, the mosses and ferns claiming home to the boulders radiated with green hues of new growth. Bending down to look closer at tiny white flowers blooming from the sprouting clover, that was overtaking small pine cones and pine needles. I heard a rustling. Then it came again at the cottage. Something wasn't right. I hid in the thicket and watched as a small group of men took the flower lady away. Following them, I hid amongst wild roses while she was in a clearing with the men as they discussed her fate. She'd done nothing wrong besides not conforming. It had been the two of us for so long. Sometimes my father would stop by on his horse. His life was secretive as well. He belonged to a group of protected history. At least that is what was told to me. They would talk about it but the fit, but by the fire when the nights were dark. His, friend, his friends were pitched below the trees. Let's see. Hang on one second. Make sure I have this right. Yeah. His friends would pitch below the trees outside, and they would all be gone before daybreak. 
A flower lady and I would leave messages for them tucked inside the base of some trees in their little hollows. It was a game we played. Even the flower lady and I would share little treasures with each other this way. But for now, in this memory, she caught my eyes watching through the bushes. Her own eyes seemed to say, it's okay. And I knew we would always be connected. Tears were rolling by one were rolling by one by one down my cheeks. More tears, more goodbyes. Then the new scene opened. One where the flower lady remained at the cottage rather than being taken away by the man. But no sooner than a month or two later, she fell ill. And then in another few months, she passed away. The remainder of both scenes looked very similar. I was living in the cottage, tending the grounds, and caring for the rare passerby, human or animal, with foods and teas, just as she had done. I write to her, leaving the letters at the bases of the trees. I do not talk much. Mostly, I'm silent. As my hair grayed, I found I was tired and ready to leave. The memory reminded me of the fullness of love. There was a depth of compassion so deep that it couldn't have been inside this human vessel and must have been formed elsewhere. It came from a place far greater, a place that could only reside on the other side of the veil. Events, interactions, and environment play a crucial role in our development of earthbound consciousness. They help our brain tune into relevant information for our lives here. In past life memories, I am reminded that no matter what happens, whether we are together physically or not, we are always connected. Our stories are woven amongst the tapestry, and they play out in multitudes. Our life iterations are always complete. They are not missing elements. They are not lacking, and they are not punishment. Our life iterations bloom into something balanced, and they are whole. We sometimes get snippets of other life experiences no differently than we get snippets of our current lives. The significance of past life memories and connection, they remind, me, they, they remind us that there is so much more beyond the veil than what we can see. They remind us, like the flower lady reminded me, that those we love and those who move through our present lives are still with us even after they leave their body. To read more letters to the flower lady, they can be found in The Book of Buried Letters by Marin Muter. And we did read that book before we read this one. So this is the end of this. Uh, this is the end of the Marin Muter books. Fantastic books. If you guys have a chance to get them at Amazon, get them because they're great books. Starting Sunday, uh, we will. Be, I will. I will be reading uh, some paranormal, uh, some true paranormal accounts by Lynn Monet, uh, who, of course, had purchased a, unknowingly purchased a haunted house with her family, and had and had to, you know, didn't even get a chance to move in. She sold the house right away. She has a follow-up book to that, so that's what we're going to be doing on the Sunday at six thirty or six o'clock. Pacific. Thank you, everybody, who stuck with me through this, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Nancy Matz will be with us, and we're going to be talking about something interesting. You know, uh, people who feel they've been abducted and they get hypnotized, and somehow there's some kind of block that maybe there's a fear there for some reason. We're going to be discussing that tomorrow. That'll be 6:30 p.m. Pacific uh, for you guys over on TikTok. Since I don't have the ability to go live for that, you can see that at YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. I thank everybody for coming tonight, and I'm going to sign off here. Um, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. 
We're equal opportunity here, California Hots Radio. Again, we're just trying to get the word out about our show and uh, build up. You know, we're building up on TikTok. We're building up on Facebook. We're building up on Instagram. We're building up at YouTube. But if you want to find us, California Haunts on uh, California Haunts and California Haunts Radio on Facebook. We are California Haunts on TikTok. We are California Haunts on Twitter. Cal Haunts on t- on uh, Twitch. And we are Ghosty Gal, all lowercase, on Instagram. So, again, I will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you for coming. And on TikTok, I'm going to sign off right here, find the button. Have a great evening, you guys. And for you guys over here at this end, I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you had a great, as good a time as I did reading this. And see you tomorrow with Nancy Matz at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Bye. <laughs>